the law itself, where there is explicit authority to basically reject a device outright, is going to only apply to connected devices, meaning ones that have internet connectivity. And that's specifically outlined in the law. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. Today I'm joined by Jason Sinchak, Principal at Level 9. I'll be talking about navigating the new medical device security law. And before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Level 9 for sponsoring this podcast. Now, Jason, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, sure. Could you please tell us a little bit about your background and what you do? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Jason Sinchak. I lead the product security program at Level 9. And uh, what we do is we assist medical device manufacturers and healthcare delivery organizations with a variety of cybersecurity needs that they have. And I say product security because um, in this space, there can be a pretty significant difference between you know what the enterprise is doing and what the, the needs of products are. And so we're very familiar working with medical device manufacturers to design and develop secure devices, and then also working with healthcare delivery organizations to secure those devices, you know, once they take ownership and the, the specific needs that products have um, that are fairly, fairly different from the enterprise. Of course, today we're talking about Section 3305 of the Consolidated Appropriations Act in 2023. Now, how will this law change what a device manufacturer does during design and development? In this space, having helped very large manufacturers of medical devices and a lot of startups and small companies who may not actually be looking to manufacture but are designing kind of the next era of medical devices, what needs to be done for cybersecurity in that space has been pretty well telegraphed over, you know, almost since about 2014. And so a lot of this is not new to manufacture. Um, if you go to a manufacturer and say, hey, this is in the law now, um, it's not a surprise. It's been coming for a long time. Um, because the regulators involved have been providing that kind of guidance for many years now. So starting all the way back in 2014, there was cybersecurity guidance given to manufacturers on how to securely design and develop medical devices. And in 2016, there was additional guidance given around how, what the responsibility is from a manufacturer to secure that device after it's been sold. And over that time period, there's been many, many updates to that guidance. Um, and now it's kind of evolved to a very small subset of the actual law. And it's not unusual for regulatory agencies such as the FDA to issue guidance on a lot of different things. Um, so they've had cybersecurity guidance out there and it is very detailed and it's very, very similar to what's in the law with some exceptions we'll get to later. Um, the difference being that that guidance was more or less a recommendation, did not have the force of law which means technically it was not required, even though it was recommended, uh, meaning that their influence is now more significant uh, when it comes to what's required of a manufacturer. So just to take another step back, I mean, the goal of the FDA or any regulator in a different part of the world is to you know, reasonably assure the safety and effectiveness of a device um, from a variety of risks. Cybersecurity is just one of those risks. Um, and for the most part, if a cybersecurity issue happens to a device and that issue affects the safety or effectiveness of the device, it has to be fixed. That's always been the case. 
um, that 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 is now a risk to the device to the patient, regardless of what it is, it would have to be fixed. And that that's required under the original law that gave them the authority to regulate medical devices, which which is basically a quality system regulation that says that the quality of the product needs to be of a certain level and it needs to be proven to us. And you have to evidence that you have mitigated against a whole bunch of risks. Cybersecurity, not explicitly called out. So over the past, there has been cybersecurity issues in medical devices and they have resulted in recalls and things of that nature under the old law. Um, what this newer law now is explicitly stating is that regardless of what the existing regulation technically requires, they are not going to explicitly require these types of cybersecurity activities to take place because they want to bake security into the actual device. And uh, as things have progressed um, and gotten more detailed around what the different types of guidance are, I mean, you've got pre-market and post-market. Pre-market being if you're going to develop a medical device, it needs to be approved by the FDA. And during that filing, you have to evidence that you've mitigated a whole bunch of different risks and that they are acceptable and controlled. Therefore, it's a safe and effective device. And how a manufacturer goes about demonstrating that they have adequately mitigated cybersecurity risk is difficult because there's a lot of different approaches and methodologies. And so for years, the guidance has suggested that for development, you know, they have to do a threat model, they have to do security requirements, they have to do software composition analysis to determine if there's vulnerabilities in the supply chain. They have to do testing, like penetration testing, source code testing, all sorts of things. They want all those activities done consistently to ensure that everyone is kind of doing the same thing um, versus kind of developing their own way of managing cybersecurity. And on the post-market side, what that guidance talks about is, you know, what is the plan that the manufacturer has so that once we approve your device and a customer buys it, that you're going to support that device from a cybersecurity perspective. So you're going to make them aware of when there's a vulnerability and you're going to patch it. And they have more or less used their approvals process to enforce that over the years. So when you go to uh, submit a filing to the FDA to be approved, they will look for those cybersecurity types of artifacts and they will approve it based on that to, to basically demonstrate that you have um, appropriately mitigated cyber risk in addition to all of the other uh, criteria that they look for. And so that's some of the history there of how they've tried to uh, kind of get at this issue over the years. They've used the approval process to kind of implicitly try to regulate some of the cybersecurity. And now it's come to the point where um, with this bill, um, coincidentally, there have been um, bills in the past that have tried to pass some of this into legislation. Um, there was something called the Patch Act last year um, that was specifically about medical device security, and it did not make it. Um, obviously, with this Consolidated Appropriations Act, there's a lot of things that end up in that bill that are completely unrelated. And one of the things that got in there was this ensuring cybersecurity of devices. And the specifics there where basically a very high level on um, a handful of statements that more or less say, you know, you must have a plan to monitor, identify, and address cybersecurity. You must design, develop, and maintain processes and procedures to provide a reasonable assurance that the device and the systems that are part of it are secure. And you must make available 
updates and patches, all of which basically says you need to be following the guidance that we've given out for many years now. And I think at one point in the bill, it actually references the specific guidance papers that they've given that go into more detail. So at the end of the day, from a manufacturing perspective, it doesn't change a lot of the things that they knew were coming, um, but it does make it required now, um, which is definitely interesting because in our experience, having worked with a lot of manufacturers and the FEA directly on cybersecurity, um, we have prepared devices to be submitted and then also talk directly with them when they have questions about the cybersecurity work that was done. Um, the bar now exists. In the past, the bar was kind of unclear um, and it wasn't consistent. Some manufacturers would be asked different questions than others, and larger manufacturers were kind of treated um, at, a, at a higher level of expectation, whereas a smaller kind of startup was not necessarily held to the same standard. And rightfully so, because uh, it's expensive and difficult to do cybersecurity. And the larger manufacturer has a lot more, you know, they might have more, more fleet out there. They might have more devices, more capabilities. And so it was a little bit, the treatment was a little bit inconsistent. Uh, with this, it's obviously got to be the same because uh, now it's in the law. So everyone's going to have to be expected to provide exactly the same thing, uh, execute a similar kind of cybersecurity activities during development, and then also um, ensure that they have the capability to support it after it's approved and purchased and marketed to customers. Um, so that, that's really the big change from a manufacturing perspective. Um, it's a lot of things that have happened over the last 10 plus years um, now being solidified into law and it's going to be required of everyone. What is not addressed in this law and where do you think we need additional improvements? How the law is written is that it's actually defining the types of um, the situation in which it will come into effect. And so it says, you know, anyone who submits uh, for submission under a 510K, 513, et cetera, there's a lot of different filings that you can do depending on what you're looking to have the regulator approve um, and based on the type of device and updates to it. Um, that and a definition in there around what a cyber device means. Um, for whatever reason, this law actually goes into defining a kind of smaller subset of devices that are going to be required to follow cybersecurity. And they defined a cyber device by a type of medical device that includes um, an ability to connect to the internet, uh, which is interesting because all of the previous guidance and expectations never really applied to just an internet connected device. They applied to everything. So every time you submitted a medical device, you had to show all the cybersecurity work that you did, that there's no threats. And if there was threats, they were mitigated um, to an acceptable level and that you, de you designed and developed the device securely and you got a post-market plan and all that, regardless of the connectivity. Um, we, we feel that that's still going to be the case where every single device that gets submitted is going to have that, um, has to have that kind of supporting documentation and activities. Um, but the law itself, where there is explicit authority to basically reject the device outright is going to only apply to connected devices, meaning ones that have internet connectivity. And that's specifically outlined in the law. So for the most part, um, if you're developing and submitting a device that's connected to the internet, 
this is absolutely going to apply and they can outright reject your submission based on not having followed the guidance. Um, that doesn't mean that even if your device is not connected to the internet and you're going to submit a device that's say just connected to the local network of a hospital or has USB ports and all these other attack services on it, you don't have to follow the guidance anymore. Um, in the past, the way that they kind of enforced their will was to just ask questions, delay you during the submission because you didn't prove that those risks were acceptable. So what has happened in the past is going to continue, um, but their legal authority in this law is going to apply specifically to internet-connected devices. What can a healthcare delivery organization now expect from these changes in the law? Yeah, from their perspective, it gets a little more interesting. Um, obviously, they more or less um, were not involved in a lot of the guidance that's been provided to manufacturers over the years because only a manufacturer communicates with the FDA. Healthcare delivery organization does not. They're not making medical devices. They're just the customer. So from their perspective, I mean, obviously, a big driver behind cybersecurity and medical devices has been to protect the patient. You know, a medical device is something that a patient can wear. It can be implanted. Um, they can use it at home, potentially, which is it's worth mentioning. Uh, that's obviously what they're getting at here with devices connected to the Internet. A lot of times that you see medical devices connected to the Internet, it's because of at-home therapy. A hospital doesn't have a ton of medical devices that are connected to the internet. Most of their devices are connected to the internal network of the hospital for various reasons, like monitoring patients, talking to an EMR, all of that good stuff. So internet-connected medical devices are not super popular within a healthcare delivery organization, but they are the trend and they're coming increasingly popular for at-home care. So from their perspective, it doesn't change a lot. Um, they should still have a strategy for existing devices. This law doesn't try and um, mitigate any threats from devices that are already out there. And obviously, hospitals, they buy devices, they hang on to them for a long time, a very long shelf life. And so they still have to have a program to deal with that. And we help a lot of major hospitals develop those programs where they have a specific capability to secure medical devices within the organization because they do present risk, meaning that if someone gains access to the hospital network, they can attack these devices, or because these devices are so old, they have a lot of vulnerabilities that somebody could use it to attack the hospital network. And so having a way to deal with legacy devices and, and continuing to build that so that you can isolate those devices, monitor them. Um, obviously, you can't get on the device to manage it directly, um, but you can do things to mitigate the risk. Having a legacy medical device program is still necessary. This law does not necessarily address anything that they already own. Um, but going forward, if they purchase a new device, I mean, this applies to some new devices, the ones that are directly connected to the internet. And that's obviously become, becoming more popular. If they purchase something like that, they can expect that it's going to have a certain level of cybersecurity guaranteed, and it's going to have a certain level of support from the manufacturer you know, for some period of time after they purchase it, meaning that the manufacturer is going to release patches, they're going to alert them when there's a vulnerability. Um, all of that is now required by law. So if they are purchasing a device like that, definitely changes things. Um, as I mentioned, that's not a very large pool of devices at a hospital. A lot of their devices, they may be connected, but they're not connected to the internet. 
Um, so there is future, it's kind of a forward looking uh, law, if you will, and that starts to address the problem that is coming. Does not address the problem that an HDO has today or will have in the next few years as it pertains to a lot of existing devices. Very hard as a regulator to go out there and try and enact law that will affect things that are legacy. Because what you're asking is that a manufacturer goes and does something to a device that they don't even sell anymore, or that would be very costly for them to change. Um, that just doesn't happen, and it's not going to happen. So an HDO needs to still you know, kind of deal with that problem on their own. There is an interesting edge case here where, um, you know, because the law requires uh, that it applies explicitly only to internet connected devices, a lot of these devices that may be new, that get approved, um, they may become connected later on. And so, you know, whether or not this, this really even affects brand new devices um, is somewhat negligible. Um, unless it's specifically connected when they approve it, um, they really shouldn't expect, you know, a significantly greater level of security from these devices. Uh, one interesting uh, avenue as well, which um, as a HDO, you may look to the FDA to kind of regulate cybersecurity on medical devices, but the FDA is solely interested in patient safety and effectiveness. You know, they're mostly concerned about what cybersecurity has been built into the device to ensure that it doesn't hurt a patient or have a safety impact. Um, they're not in the business of determining whether or not there's enough cybersecurity in the device so it doesn't attack your hospital or so that it's not part of an attack on your hospital. Because in many cases, a device can have a vulnerability, but the manufacturer can prove that when that gets exploited, um, it doesn't result in the patient safety impact in which case it doesn't even need to be fixed, basically. Uh, in the eyes of the FDA, technically, and the existing laws, you don't have to address vulnerabilities that don't have a patient safety impact. That doesn't mean that the HDO shouldn't be concerned about those because now you have devices in your network that have vulnerabilities. They may not have a patient safety impact, but they can steal your data. That device can be used as a pivot point to attack other things. Ransomware can make it completely unavailable or other devices unavailable. That's not a patient safety impact necessarily, it's an environmental impact. And therefore, you know, the focus on still building robust legacy cybersecurity programs for medical devices within a hospital are key. And um, we kind of see this when we work with manufacturers who are selling to the DOD. You know, the DOD is buying medical devices and they're requiring a certain level of security even if that cyber, even if that device was designed and developed to the FDA guidance on cybersecurity, you know, to the utmost level, what they had built into that device was for patient safety, not necessarily for protecting the customer. And so, from a hospital perspective, HDO, um, it definitely may address you know what's coming down the line ten years from now when a lot of this is connected to the internet. But it doesn't change, you know, what their problem space is uh, today or even in the next few years. That's an important distinction. Now, Jason, where can listeners go to get specific information if they want to learn more about this? Yeah, so uh, some of the best sources out there. Obviously, we help interpret a lot of this for manufacturers and for healthcare organizations. Um, but the the two kind of 
original sources would be either you go to the FDA guidance documents that are out there, the pre-market and post-market guidance, which are updated every couple of years, uh, most recently last year from a pre-market perspective. You can go look at the law itself, but it's really just a handful of sentences that kind of punt back to the guidance. Um, so a lot of the detail of what you need to do is spelled out directly in the FDA guidance. Um, so that's a good source. Uh, otherwise, I mean, we, we offer services directly to manufacturers and startups um, around what to expect uh, from the FDA, how you need to develop your device, design it, what you need to show them. Uh, we kind of interpret that for them so that they don't have to be experts in that space. And at the end of the day, you're just trying to get through that process. Um, and on the healthcare side, uh, from an HDO perspective, you know, we kind of apply our knowledge um, from a manufacturing side, knowing what is baked in and what you can and cannot do uh, so that you don't disrupt the device to try and build some programs for these hospitals to run that can mitigate you know, what is mostly the residual risk of, you know, we already own this thing, it's old, um, or we're buying a new one, you know, what do we have to do to make sure it doesn't become a problem in the future? Um, obviously, you can come to us. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of sources out there from a manufacturing perspective that are available. Um, from an HDO perspective, um, we haven't seen a lot of organizations build their medical device security programs um, very robustly, but a lot of the major hospitals out there do have them and they're becoming more popular. Um, so that's something where uh, there is certain industry groups where you can kind of discuss that. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us today and thanks for sharing your insights. And special thanks to Level 9 for sponsoring this podcast. A fantastic rest of your day. Thank you. Take care.